And it wasn't until my mom started um, um, noticing that I'm just like constantly spinning that she actually had a sit down with me. And she was like, you know, um, she was telling me she was like how how she was able to survive on just welfare and food stamp with six kids was that whatever money that she gets um, a month for the food stamp or for the welfare. Right. Um, She spends she spends, um, she spends 70% of it and then 30% of it, she puts away, you know? And so whatever cash aid that she receives, 30% of it, she does put away. And then she make do with only 70% of it. And she was like, I, you know, she's always telling me, she always urged me to like follow that savings rule, right? Where you, if you have, if you make a um, dollar, you spend 70 cents, you put 30 cents away. If you make uh, $100, you spend $70, you put $30 away. Welcome to the Millennials and Money Podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. All right, guys. So today I have a very special guest with me, Mrs. May Yang. All right, May, I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself here in a bit. But first, let me share how you and I know each other. Now, May, we've known each other for about three years now. It's been about three years since we've known each other. Um, You work with a good colleague of mine and a client of mine, Mr. Adrian Peterson of Elevate Mortgage. And when I first met you guys, I think you guys were at American Pacific Mortgage back then. And that's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Adrian introduced me to you about two years back. We've been working together ever since. You've been a great client. Um, you and I, we actually grew up not very far from each other. We, I'm sure we know a lot of the same people. You're from my hood, girl. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, at least my husband's from your hood. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but let's um let's hop into it. I'm allowed to introduce yourself, share about who you are and what you do for a living, and then we'll hop into it. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, my name is May. I am a um a, I, I, uh, a loan officer, um, but I don't originate. So I work with Adrian Peterson over at Elevate Mortgage. Um, what I do for him. I am a contracted uh, loan processor. So um, normally that includes just, you know, processing all of his loans. So that 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 means that I wouldn't have to go out there and actually um, try to attain my own sales. I just kind of write a coattail of Adrian and do majority of the paper pushing for him. Okay, so you sold, you sold yourself a little short. You don't just ride the coattails. You, you are... <laughs> you you make you you make the show happen. Yeah, and I know it. I've seen it personally. Like Adrian's a rainmaker. He's like me. He can go get business. But without you, we know the show falls apart because you're you're the one who's dying all the eyes and crossing the T's. Oh yeah, that's what I do. That's exactly what I do. I make sure everything I and um I do a little bit of a housekeeping too, right? So I make sure everyone's in line. So <laughs> if, <laughs> if if you know they they kind of away from that line i i kind of remind him that they can need to come back into the line and, and walk that narrow path yeah i know i know whenever you're out of town i meet with adrian it's like he's running around he's he's like a like trying to put out all these fires he's all over the place so he needs you <laughs> that is true <laughs> that is very true 
very surprised that you actually uh, got a chance to come into the office um, whenever I'm out of town because, uh, you know, Adrian's probably running around kind of like a chicken without the head, right? He's like just trying to figure things out. And I know every time I come back, he looks like he's spent, he looks like he's very stressed out. And then once I get back, I have to clean everything up and, you know, <laughs> make everything right again. Essentially. So, so do you check emails when you're on vacation or does are you are you off the line? Um I try not to check my emails on vacation just because whenever I go on vacation, I'm with my kids. I really want to focus on um just you know pay focus more on them. But occasionally I do check I do check my I do check my text messages because I still occasionally do get text messages from Adrian. Um, and, um, if it's really important, then of course I'm going to have to log back into my computer and check my emails and answer whatever that he need me to answer. Um, for, but for the most part, I try to stay away from it just because, um, I, I really don't want to give off that image to my kids that I'm not paying attention to them or that I'm not all there when we're on vacation. So I really try not to do it. Um, but occasionally I would have to. Yeah, it's it's a balancing act. I, I'm the same way. I I try to unplug, but sometimes, right. sometimes you gotta check some things and make and fix some things, put out some fires. So May, this podcast is all about financial success and financial success looks different to people. But a lot of times mm-hmm. those cornerstones and that foundation to your financial success and financial um literacy kind of gets put in place at a young age. So let's go back there, May. What was money like for you and your household growing up when you were a kid? Um, so growing up, um, I mean, I, I, you know, you talk about me being from your hood. I, I was, I grew up in the hood, you know, I I grew up in Long Beach and we were, (laughs) we weren't really, uh, fortunate. You know, my parents had me really early. My dad was still going to college. My mom's still going to college. They were, um, on welfare and food stamps. So we didn't have much growing up, you know, and I think that kind of, um, that kind of set the stone for me, um, because I know that, you know, I, as I was growing up, I never had much money and we also have a really big family. You know, I, I can, I come from a family of, um, um, you know, five siblings, five additional siblings. So there's six of us in total. Wow. And of course, like I said, my parents were on welfare, so we didn't really have much, you know, so we were constantly um, just getting hand-me-downs from like other relatives. We, uh, my parents were very, very frugal because again, they, they have six mouths to feed. So, you know, they have to really budget and um, make whatever money that they have work for them. And so I've, I've always grown up. Um, wanting things, right? Because we never have that luxury of having additional money for anything, you know, even, um, even a, you know, uh, even a toy, even a Barbie doll or anything like that. So we really never really had any of that. Um, we normally, I mean, we, I, sh- I shop in my whole childhood, I shop at the thrift store, you know, my parents would take me to the thrift store um, and we would occasionally pick up a toy and they'll take a look at it. And it's like 25 cents, but they're like, oh, we can't really afford that because then if I buy for you, I would have to buy for everyone else, you know? And so um, it was very difficult uh, money wise, just growing up that way. Um, But at the same time, you know, my parents may do with whatever they had. 
and um, they were able to teach us, you know, how to value the, the um, just how to value money in general, you know, like how to value saving and how to value like um, learning how to budget and that sort of thing. So um, that really did help me out um, in the long run as I become an adult. It, it really helped me out to, um, you know, to use some of the practice that they have um, towards, you know, my lifestyle as well. It's not as bad now, but, you know, because I, I do, you know, I, I now work and I make my own money and whatever. But, you know, just growing up, like I said, we grew up really poor, um, but really well loved. So it's not like, you know, my parents are like, it's not like they just dump us on the street and say, oh, go figure it out yourself. You know, they make do with what they have. They Yeah, no, that that was a lot. Uh, sorry, I think the internet broken up a little, a little bit there, but I think we got, we got what we need. Okay, so May, that, that okay, cool. I didn't I didn't understand that May. I didn't know you're May. I I didn't know that you grew up in Long Beach. Actually, the funny thing that's my dad's hood. My dad is from Long Beach, but uh, but funny enough, I didn't. Oh, no. I would <laughs> yeah. I would have never guessed you. Grew yeah. Up in poverty. No. Like, yeah. I. I Oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if you've been to Long Beach lately. Um it, it's it's gotten so much better and like they've they changed um so much things and you know they're they're trying to they're trying to make Long Beach a lot nicer. But when I was growing up, you know, it, it's it was very scary for us because it's like everyone's just like running, you know, we we grew up, uh, we live in like a, 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 a two-bedroom apartment, you know, and it's like uh, for six of us, we all share beds, you know, and then like we have a lot of family members that live in the same apartment complex and whatever it is. But it was really um uh, now that when I go back down to Long Beach to visit family, it's so much better than when as when I was grown up. You know, it's like it's I don't think it's as bad, but I do still love Long Beach because it kind of built um, me up um, as a stronger person. Right. I, I don't know if you've been to Long Beach back in the 80s or back in the 90s where it's a little bit scary, but, you yeah. know, like at night. My parents would always tell me, don't walk around, you know, be home by this time, because it was just very, like, you never know. And, and, um, and, 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 you know, like, I've had, like, I've had, like, you know, um, I, I know a lot of uh, people, um, you know, at the age of 10, having to grow up because there's just so many gangbangers, there's just so many shootings, there's just, you know, all kinds of stuff that really happened in Long Beach that nobody really hear about. So yeah, it's definitely been gentrified. Gentrification has really changed mm -hmm. yes. that neighborhood. I remember going there as a kid to visit family, like, and I remember, and this is in the 90s, early 90s. I remember like streetlights coming out, yeah, and like yeah. they, they tell us to go inside. And I didn't know why we're going inside, but I knew, hey, streetlights come on, go inside. I remember my cousin would sleep on the right. floor. He would sleep on the floor because of drive uh -huh. And I was like a little dumb mm -hmm. kid. Like, why yes. you want to sleep on the floor? But that's yes. like, that, it was really, it's yeah. a really, really bad neighborhood back then, man. And it, it was, 
It was, but then, you know, like I said, we, there's just, there's bad, but then I have a lot of really good memories, like childhood memories in Long Beach, you know, like that will always be my town. So we will always go down there. My husband though, uh, my husband, when he first went down to Long Beach, he's never known anything about Long Beach. And so me growing up, I still kind of have that paranoia where like, I don't want to be on the street too long. So if we're parking a car, we're going to park the car, we're going to run it. You know, and like it's different now. But even as as an adult, I still have that same mentality in a way where if we go down there, we're going to park the car. We're not going to talk to anyone because we don't want to talk to anyone. We're just going to go straight into the house, you know, or straight into the hotel or or if we're visiting and it's dark, we better run you know, <laughs> and run into the house now. But I still have that same mentality. You know, it's, it's like you can't really take what's it called it's like post-traumatic stress post-traumatic and, and that's a real yeah. thing for it's, it's a real thing for people who grew up in neighborhoods like that and lifestyles like that mm-hmm. like it's 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 really ptsd like you would it's a yeah tra- it's in a, tra- a way. lifestyle yeah yeah in a way in a way I, I mean i still take my kids around we still drive around i still point out like my old schools and my old the old parks that we'll hang out at and and you know like like we will we'll still go sightseeing and it's like I said everything's changed now and it's so much better but it still brings back you know really good memories too because I tend I want to remember the better memories than the bad memories you know and so like I would take my kids and we'll just point out like you know like all of the good stuff that we used to do you know I took them to like the park that we would always um go picnic at with like family. I took them to my old elementary school. I took them to um, my middle school, all of that stuff. And they can see like, there's so much difference between um, that town and Sacramento. You know, it's like, there's a big difference between it. They can obviously tell, you know, so. Yeah, it's it's just, it's different lifestyle. So, you know, you, you talked about a lot. You, you talked about growing up with, growing up with five siblings, eight of you total in a two bedroom apartment in Long Beach. That that's gotta have been tough, but you learned a lot. You learned how to how to get by with what you guys had and to appreciate what you guys do have. So those learning those talk about those uh, how those lessons have impacted you as an adult when you got older. Not not necessarily now, but kind of when you got when you moved out of Sacramento, you got a little more independent. Let's talk about how much how some of those cornerstones you learned about getting by with what you have and making it work. How that impacts you as an adult. Oh, I I think um, I think like I like I mentioned, growing up poor and I never really having much money, and so once I became more of an adult, you know, like my first job I got, I I was um, I, I was working as a waitress at a sushi restaurant, right, and like you know, just because I've never really have like an abundance of money, it obviously once you start making money and once you start having money, you kind of, you kind of go crazy. Right. I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, I went crazy. It, it was just kind of like, wow. I, and now I'm, now I have my own job. Now I have my own money. Now I don't have to share anything. So of course I'm, I'm always like constantly shopping spree and buying things <laughs> that I don't need. And, you know, we love shoes. We love clothes. We love purses. So of course, um, just as a teenager, right? Like 18, I didn't really have, um, I, I didn't really have, you know, 
I, I wasn't really conscious about like my money, you know, not saving or anything like that. So I would have to admit just because I grew up poor and now that I have money, I did go a little bit overboard, you know? Yeah. You kind of, kind of have to get yourself what you feel you deserved all those years. You, right. All those years at the, um, at the thrift store, your mom and dad said no. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So it was like that. And like, again, like I said, when you're like 18, like, you know, even like 16, 17, when once you start making a little bit of money, you're, you go crazy. You're like, okay, well I'm rich now. You know, like you're getting paid uh, $7 an hour. I think minimum wage was like what? $7 or six, six seventy five When I started working, if I'm not mistaken, six seventy five I think. And, um, and I'm like, gosh, you know, like four hours a day, I, every paycheck, I get like 50 bucks. I'm like, that's perfect. I can go to the- <laughs> or I can go and you know like anything I had anything I had um I you know any money I make I spent and it wasn't until my mom started um um noticing that I'm just like constantly spinning that she actually had a sit down with me and she was like you know um she was telling me she was like how how she was able to survive on just welfare and food stamp with six kids was that whatever money that she gets um a month for the food stamp or for the welfare right um she spends she spends um she spends 70 percent of it and then 30 percent of it she puts away you know and so whatever cash aid that she receives 30 percent of it she does put away and then she make do with only 70 percent of it and she was like I you know she's always telling me she always urged me to like follow that savings rule right where you if you have if you make a um, dollar, you spend 70 cents, you put 30 cents away. If you make a uh, hundred dollars, you spend $70, you put $30 away. And for the longest time, I thought she was the craziest person because I was like, no, I'm, I'm making all of my money. I should be able to spend it however I want, you know, but eventually, you know, of course money comes and goes. So it never really lasts long. And then what, where am I? Um, when I, I run through all of my money, right. I go through all of my money and now I have no money for gas or now I don't have, you know, like I don't have extra spending money to go out with my friends or anything like that, you know? And so, um, it really, like I said, as a teenager, I was just very irresponsible just because of the fact that I grew up poor. And so now that I have money, I just want to burn through it all, you know, and I didn't really take my mom's words of advice. Um, I, I never really consider her words at all, you know, until I, um, until I actually had kids of my own. And then I realized, well, you know, we just got to stop, right. You got to stop spinning yeah. because now you have, um, have more mouths to feed. Now you're married, you know, now my husband, now I have my husband too, you know? Okay. And so between the two of us, now we have, you know, we have responsibilities now. And so, yeah. and you know, life lesson. Yeah. It's nice to make those mistakes when you're a teenager. And not when you're an adult. And, right. And everyone has these, these mistakes and, you know, they weren't too bad. It's just, hey, wages, money's gone. But, you know, you've, you've came a long <laughs> way from then. But let's... um Right. You graduated, I graduated in 05. You graduated in 06, I think, right? 2006, you got out of high school. You probably yes. 18 in 2006. Let's, um, let, let's talk a little bit about 07, 08. And well, before we go there, let's talk about how you how did you get in the mortgage industry? Let's talk about your entry to the mortgage industry. 
Oh, sure. Um, my, um, I, I actually got introduced into mortgage. My, my parents, when they've moved up here uh, to Sacramento, my mom, you know, I, I, I felt like my mom didn't really know what to do with herself. And so my dad was running a, um, um, I, I, I don't know if you, you've ever seen these before, but it, it was a mobile, uh, basically like a mobile screen. So what he does is he builds like, um, you know, those um, security doors and security uh, windows, bars. And he also builds like the, those, um, the, the window screens for like bugs to come in or whatever to yeah. stay out of. So he was doing that to stay at home mom. And she really didn't know what to do. And so one of her buddy actually had her um, signed up as um, I those pyramid schemes, right? You know, where like they sign you up and then you go and sell life insurance. And then like you, the, <laughs> but instead of insurance, you kind of focus on adding more people onto your book of business, you know, like yeah. adding people underneath. So my mom got into that and she didn't really like it. And so she actually met, um, so she was doing insurance. She was doing life insurance. So, but then she met a client who was a loan officer who, um, who, who kind of like took a liking to her, right? Where he was kind of like, hey, you know, like I, I've seen the way you work. Maybe you should come and work for uh, with me. And, and then so he introduced her into mortgage and he's the one that helped her um, got her, um, you know, got her licensing done. He's the one that helped her set herself up. And then from there, you know, she, uh, she started doing mortgages. It's a lot easier to be a broker back in a day back in like, um, I think she started doing it, um, back in 2001, I, if I'm not mistaken. And so it's, it was a lot easier to get licensed and get, have your own broker back then, um, as far as I know. And so, uh, she just branched out, started her own business and eventually she needed a lot of help. She needed a lot of help. Uh, she was just having too much business. And so of course me being me, you know, I'm, I'm like, I was work, like I said, I was working at a sushi restaurant, um, that was my first job ever. And she was just like, hey, I think I might be able to um, help you out, you know, because like you're just working at a sushi restaurant. You're not making enough money. Why don't you come and help me with, um, you know, just to help process my work, right? To help process my files, to help answer the phone, that sort of thing. So I started working with my mom. So she was the one who actually employed me. At first, she didn't really want to employ me because she thought, you know, I probably wasn't responsible enough, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, she knew that I needed a better job and she knew that I needed um, some guidance as well. You know, my mom's very, um, the, the thing about my mom is that all of her kids, she, she, she's always worried about her kids and she only wants the best for them. So um, she asked me to um, help out around the office. And so I started off answering the phones. I started off um, basically not even not even uh, responding to any emails because this is like back in 2000, what, 2006, 2007. So a lot of times everything's paper, you know, you print everything out. So what I really did was I just started printing out these loan applications and um, all of these documentation and I'll put it in a folder. And then when I go home for the night, my mom would ask me to go drop it off into what they call a T-box. 
<laughs> and then they'll, they'll send um, they'll send these files over to the banks, and then the banks will review it. And then when they are um, when you know when the loan gets approved or whatever, they send it right back to you. You know, they give you a call, they give you an email, they send you a letter, whatever the situation is. Let me pause you there, man. Let me let me pause you there for a second. So this is 2006, 2007. So for the younger listeners, yeah. at this time, real estate was insane. Everybody was making oh, money. Was. I'm sure your mom was doing excellent. Like she must have been on top of the world coming from a two bedroom apartment in Long Beach with six to making that real estate, that mortgage money in 06, 07. That, that, that right. must have been a huge lifestyle change for you guys. Um, before you go any further, did, did, what, did, did, did your mom remain extremely frugal at this point or how things changed for her? Oh, she was though, you know, I, I felt like um, just kind of like being used to that lifestyle. She really was frugal though, you know, she was though really, she, she really did follow her rule of, you know, spend this much, put this much away. Again, she has six kids she needs to take care of, you know, like at this point she's making a ton of money. So her main focus is to make sure that she puts enough away that should anything happen to her, um, we're well taken care of, you know, like her, her, my dad, they, they were, um, they, they're still really frugal to this day, you know, like they have, um, they were making good money. Unfortunately in 2000, 2009, 2010, when like it really crashed, like the economy crashed and no one's really buying any houses. Everyone's like foreclosing and stuff like that. Um, they, you know, they, they lost a lot of business. They lost a lot of clients. They lost a lot of business. And so they they were very, very fortunate that they were still kind of following that frugal lifestyle where they were like putting away every penny that they earn, you know? And so um, that was able to really help support us and help support them as well. And then you know, that, like um, even to this. Mm-hmm. That's saying a lot there because a lot of people in two, when 2008 hit, all those people were making all those, all that money, they stopped making money. And right. they, when they were making money, they thought it was going to keep coming forever. So a lot of people were spending everything they were earning, they were spending, buying up homes, well, yeah. reinvesting it, buying new mm-hmm. cars. Yeah, but your mm-hmm. parents were still sticking to that frugal lifestyle, which is probably why they've been able to maintain it in this last because some people fell out of the business. People hung it up, but your parents still stuck right. because of. Right. So, so they still hung, you know, they, 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 they're still in a business right now. They're not as, um, they don't do as much anymore. My mom, um, she doesn't do loans anymore. I think she, she's done with that. But my dad still, my dad um, was, uh, my dad was a real estate agent. He's still doing real estate right now too, you know, but they're kind of at that point where they're okay because um, you mentioned like just buying up lands and buying up homes and stuff like that. My parents were like that too. They, they figured, you know, the best, way to invest their money instead of just letting us sit in a bank is to um, buy up all of these properties that we're like getting foreclosed on. Right. So they used a lot of like their, um, they used a lot of their savings to just go and buy like um, these properties and like these land that's like foreclosed on and very cheap and, you know, they can afford it now. And so um, they started just buying up everything that they can afford and and now you know, like now my dad's cashing in, uh, cashing in on all of his properties right now. You know, it, it's like basically quadruple in price, and now he's cashing in on it now. And so he's very fortunate. And you know, unfortunately, 
we're, I'm probably not as smart as they are. So <laughs> I didn't jump on it, you know, yeah. but he, did. no, but that, that, that's just opportunity. You know, if you, as long as you're wise and save money and wait for the right opportunity, you'll be able to take advantage of it just like your parents did. And, and, you know, yes. you, you, you gotta give yourself some credit. You've done a great job and you, but you bought your right. first home. Uh, well, when did you buy your first home? And what was that process like? I bought my first home in 2000, um, two, uh, 2011, 2011. Oh, I bought my, yes, so this, it was, this, two, this was, things was, things were still really down. Uh, it, it was really still low still. And you stuck right. You were still in the mortgage. You know what? Home. I like, I like 2013, 2000, okay. actually 2011 when it was when, um, I wanted to buy a house and that was when it was super cheap. You could go look at a three bedroom, two baths and it was 70,000. Right. Wow. And, but there's just so many people with like cash offers, such as my, like I say, with such as my parents who had like these abundance of cash saved up and people are just buying it left to right. And of course um, I don't have that money. <laughs> you know, I don't have, I never saved up 70,000. So of course I can't afford it. And so um, in 2011, that's when um, my husband and I decided that we wanted to buy a house because it was so cheap. Right. And, and granted, we weren't making much money, you know, granted, you know, um, like I said, with the meltdown, uh, my parents weren't generating much um much work anymore. Of course, I, because I work with them, um, I work with them like a big happy family. I, I don't have a job anymore. I have no work whatsoever. And so I'm, I'm basically unemployed. My husband's the only one working, but then, um, right around that time was when houses are so cheap that my parents were urging us to like look into getting in a house, you know, yeah. um, unfortunately, we had to go and get a mortgage loan. And so a lot of sellers who owns or a lot of banks who owns these homes, they don't really care about people who has, who who's trying to buy a house with a mortgage, right? They want, they want cash buyers. So we started looking, um, obviously we didn't get anything and it took us this long. It took us, um, it took us until 2013, actually. Now that I think about it, I bought, so, uh, we, I, I actually officially bought my first house in 2013. And it was, um, it was, it was, it was a big learning curve, you know, like I've never been a homeowner before. I've lived in apartments, you know, me, my husband, and my kids, we all lived in apartments and um, living in an apartment compared to owning your own house is like very, very different. <laughs> and I honestly wasn't prepared for it, but, you know, we were just kind of like, well, let's just do it anyways. We're work. I'm kind of, um, Sometimes I kind of I, I kind of uh, jump into things just because it sounds good, and then I'll figure it out from there. You know, so that's kind of like some of the some of the stuff that I do in my life is is kind of like just jumping into it and then figuring it out at the end. So, hey, uh, but <laughs> I think I think jumping to owning a, your first property is a wise decision because I'm sure it worked out right in 2013. So it did. And then you, you since you, you you since sold that property now you bought another home, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So and we, did you have equity in there? How much did you make in the in the sale? So um my so I bought my first house I think um 
I think for, I, I think at that time it was a hundred. Oh gosh. I don't remember. I think it was like a hundred and forty. I think I bought my house for 140. Oh my gosh. Uh, we lived wow. in there for one year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We lived there for two years. Actually. I sold my house in 2000, 2016. Okay. So we lived there for three years. Uh, 20, 2013, I, uh, yeah, we sold our house in 2016 by then basically double, um, in a way, I think I, I think I netted, um, uh, about 70,000 out of, uh, out of the house. That's not bad at all. Right. That's awesome. That's, that's not bad at all. That's not bad at all. When I was only my house and and like I said, it's a, it's a starter home. It's, it's not really nice. It's in a ghetto. I don't know. Um, it's, it's over by Amherst and Meadowview. Like, <laughs> ghetto, you know, like it's like really, I love the house. It's a really, really very tiny, but, um, I, I sold it and I net, um, about 70,000 after, paying off all of my fees and paying off the commission fees and all of that stuff. I still net enough that I was able to take, um, um, and, um, and use it towards the purchase of my new home, you know, like, so for furniture, for down payment, all of that stuff, I just took all of that and put it back into the house. You know, that that's awesome. And, you know, it all started from just working with your mom, filing papers. You've came a mm-hmm. long way since then. So right. let's talk about, um, let's not talk about elevate yet. Yeah. Let's talk about, <laughs> The loan dude, how you met him and what your relationship is like. And then eventually how you end up at Elevate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I, I started, um, I, I was working at another company and what I was doing wasn't sales. I was more of the back end thing. So I was actually doing, um, quality controlled and fraud investigation. So what, what happened is, is that now with like the mortgage uh, business picking back up again, um, now, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, all of the, um, HUD, they all have like, um, stricter, um, regulations and like, uh, stricter guidelines and stuff like that. And so I got, I was really fortunate to get employed in the mortgage industry because like for a very long time, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do anymore. Right. Because I started with mortgage. I grew up with mortgage. Mortgage is kind of like what I knew, you know? And so obviously, um, just working like dead end jobs here and there wasn't working for me. And so of course I started, um, you know, once, once I realized that the mortgage industry is picking back up again, I started applying for uh, companies again. And I was really fortunate to um, get employed with um, a, a company and I was doing um, quality control. So they did, um, they did a lot of fraud investigations. So I was training to do fraud investigations. So mainly fraud investigation is basically calling the borrower, asking them if they actually put in the application, taking a look at like their financials to see if there's any chances of them, um, um, you know, defaulting on their loan. And, you know, we call it early, early default or early payoff or early default. And so I, I look at all of the trends on that. Um, there was at that time, there was a lot of, lot of, lot of people who were, um, who were using like other people to buy houses for them. Right. Because houses were still pretty cheap back in 2013, you know, it's still, it's, it's not as cheap as 2011, but it was still pretty cheap, you know, cheap enough that there's a lot of investors who can't qualify for loans, but who doesn't want to put it 
you know, any cash into buying this property, they'll use like family members, they'll pay somebody to use it. So my job was really to like, take a look and see like, um, is this person, is this person buying for himself as a primary home or is he buying it as a straw buyer, you know, buying it so that he can give it to this investor to um, rent out and whatever the case is. So that's what I did. Um, eventually, Eventually, um, I was um, given more responsibilities than what my job title really held. And of course, I was given more responsibility, more responsibilities than what I felt um, I was getting paid for. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I had a talk with my uh, manager. He, he was just basically kind of like giving me to run around. And so I kind of got a little fed up, right? I, I got a little bit fed up. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to start looking for a new job, you know, <laughs> because um, sometimes you got to realize how much you're worth, you know, um, just because you're working for a company, uh, you do really do have to realize how much you're worth. And so I was like, okay, I need a new job. Well, uh, my mom, my mom was refinancing one of her house and um, she got referred over to um, at that time, Adrian's boss. And, um, and he knew that she was in mortgage too. So he was asking her if she would like to come and work for him because they were looking for somebody, they were looking for an assistant um, in a way. And so she was like, no, she didn't, she didn't want to do that. But then she had me and she, so she referred me over to her, to, to um, the loan officer that was doing her um, refinance. And so I reached out to him. And um, at that time, um, I, you know, I reached out to him. He said that he was looking for someone. So we set up an interview. And when I got there, um, the branch manager, who set up the interview wasn't even there, but I didn't realize that I was actually interviewing to be Adrian's uh, loan assistant. And so I met Adrian, we sat down, we had an interview and um, I felt like I did a pretty good job. I, I wasn't too sure, but of course, you know, when you're interviewing, you, you're, you're <laughs> nervous, you know, so you don't know, maybe you're doing, you're not, right? <laughs> and, um, but then um, I, I believe, it was, um, they, they called me back. I went back for a second interview. I met with everyone. I met with Adrian again and they, they offered me to, um, they offered me the position. They offered me the position. Um, unfortunately it didn't pay as well as what I was getting paid already. But then again, at the same time, I thought about it. Uh, remember, I said, you know, you have to know your worth, right? But oh, I'm I'm over here at a company where they're like basically draining me dried and like they don't appreciate what I was doing. So of course I'm like, okay, well, let me start over here. You know, like I, I have a really good feeling about this. I have a good feeling. Um, I feel like even if I didn't get paid as much, maybe it'll be a better move because of the way I was able to connect with like Adrian, the way I was able to connect with the branch manager, I just felt like um, I would be a lot happier. Sometimes money don't really mean anything unless you're happy, right? You could be in a dead end job and make a hundred thousand, but if you're unhappy, then why are you still in that position? So that's my mentality at that time. So I met with Adrian and it just kind of went from there, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and I've been working with him since, um, uh, 2016, 20, 20, 2016, I believe. Yeah. Wow. So you, you guys, you've had quite a journey with Adrian. He's awesome, dude. Uh, let's pause it for a commercial break. Let's pause for a commercial break and we'll hop back into it. 
Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your host and wealth advisor with Homes Financial, Peyton Boyer. You know, many times what I do for my client is help them secure the peace of mind of knowing they have enough. You know, as millennials, it's easy to feel like we don't have enough. Enough to secure the financial future we're hoping for and also enjoy our lives now. But that's why one thing I do with all of my clients is what I like to call a money purpose plan. And make sure that their current spending is aligned with what's most important to them. That way they're able to enjoy their life now while they track towards their financial goals. If you're interested in securing your money purpose plan, please reach out to me. You can contact me at my phone, 916-271-1974, or email me at Payton, that's P-A-Y-T-O-N at Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, Finn, F-I-N, dot com. I look forward to hearing from you. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, okay. So that, that it's pretty cool how you and Adrian start together uh, American Pacific. You know, you like them right away. You're willing to take the reduction in pay t- because you're happy. And I tell mm-hmm. people all the time, like, if you're not happy, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. It's not about how much money you're making. Right. If you're not, if you, if you don't feel valued. And I think one thing that they showed you in the interview process was, hey, we're going to value you. And what you weren't feeling valued right. to your previous employer. So that was at American Pacific. You got you and Agent have since left a, a, a APC a American Pacific and gotten independent to elevate mortgage. Let's talk about that transition. What that was like, and how how and were you sure that hey, this is what I want to do and not stay stick around where I'm at? Yes. Okay. So. Um, Eventually, you know, um, just working with Adrian, he's he's such a great guy, right? He's like very, he knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly what he's, he wants to chase after, you know? And so when he decided to make the move, obviously I didn't really think much of it. I'm like, well, you know, my job, my job here at American Pacific is to um, help you out on your loans, you know? <laughs> We've done such a good job of it. It was such a good partnership, right? And I've been with him, um, you know, at that at that point for I think three years or so already. Because I I don't think we made a move until 2019. I started with him in 2016, so I think about two and a half to three years, if I'm not mistaken. And and then so of course when he wanted to leave and he wanted to branch out and start. Um, start his own business, you know, open up um, Elevate Mortgage. It was a no brainer because even had I stayed, um, where would I have gone? You know, <laughs> my <laughs> him. And so, um, so I, I I knew right off the bat that when he was leaving, I was going to leave with him. He wanted me to follow him. He he sat me down. He he asked me if I'm comfortable leaving with him. Um, I didn't I didn't even think much of it. I I knew that it was going to be hard. I knew that it was going to be very, um, I wasn't going to be getting paid, you know, like I, I wasn't going to be secured anymore in my job position, right? Because over at American Pacific, I was getting an hourly and then I was getting like a bonus. Well, moving with Adrian, I know, like just thinking about it, everything's based on commission, right? So whatever Adrian makes, you know, then that's whatever I will make. If he doesn't close this many loans, then if we don't close a loan in, um, you know, if we close no loans in a certain month, then we're, we're both not getting paid, you know? But then I had every faith 
that he would not because this is a big change for him too and and if he did not pick up this business then of course if he's not closing any loan well he's not getting paid too so i knew that just going in between me and him we're probably going to be uh it, it would probably be really difficult for the both of us you know but then um again like i said i had so much faith that uh we'll do well you know we're both hard worker agents are really hard worker um and and I like processing his files. He's he's a really and I've worked with enough people to know that he's um, one of the better person to work for. <laughs> yeah, no, and you, so of course I'm like, okay, yeah, let's. Yeah. You you guys make a real power team. You guys really complement each other. Um, he, he, hey, we're calling. It, his name is Adrian Peterson. He he's not the line. He's not the running back. But hey, this guy puts the numbers. Right. Like, <laughs> He puts the numbers like he is a running back. He he's a superstar, and his name's Adrian Peterson with Elevate Mortgage. Um, right. And you guys have been just a great team, and I've really right. enjoyed working with both you guys as clients as well. Uh huh. So, so we're coming close to the end. Before we get to the end, I kind of want to talk to you more about your profession, and you know, right now, right now, it's it's tough for people to get in homes. Like, there's so many people right. buying. Like you guys are probably doing great because the people are refinancing left and right. I'm sure because the interest rates are so low, but it's also like a lot, a lot of buyers out there right now. And sellers are doing great. So, what would you? What are some things you could say to our listeners to get in the right position to take advantage of these low interest rates? What do they? Yes. Need yes. So, um, I and I see this often enough. You know, we we're doing really great with refinance, but then. We have a lot of um, buyers out there, and I, I feel like um, there's 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 more buyers now because with the uh, with the with the the way the the rental market is rising in Sacramento, people are figuring out that they would rather buy than to pay rent, right? So, um, so now they're all everyone's looking into getting pre qualified for a home, but it's and unfortunately, unfortunately. Um, the pricing of houses here in Sacramento is is jumping up so high that you have a lot of first time home buyers who um, who probably want to buy, but then they probably don't have enough money or um, they don't have enough credit or whatever the situation is. I would definitely recommend reaching out to you know uh, reaching out to someone and getting pre qualified, getting what we call a, a TBD approval. So basically, you would just uh, submit in your application, such as um, you know your income and your um, assets and whatever, and then we send it over to the lender, and then they. They um they they basically give you a um, TBD approval, and so when you go and you start um, shopping for houses, now you don't now you no longer have that loan contingency. Now you now you can just um, now you have a, a little bit of a fighting power where um, instead of instead of the seller waiting 30 days for you to close your loan. Now, you know, you're already pre-approved, you know, you're pre-approved assets wise, you're pre-approved um, income wise with the lender. Now it's just a matter of finding a house and um, getting an appraisal done and, and basically closing your house. So that's definitely something that I would recommend a lot of our buyers, because I know that there's just so much competition out there. Um, I, I'm starting to see a trend where, you know, a lot of our buyers are coming up to us and say, well, you know what? you know, there's a house on the market, we put in an offer, but there's also 20 other offers out there, you know, and they're all offering, you know, 10,000, 20,000 more than the asking price. And we just don't know what to do. And so 
always recommend our borrowers, you know, let's 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 try to see if we can get you into the uh, into a, a TBD approval so that that way we already know that you're approved, your loan's approved already, you know. It's just a matter of finding the house and getting an appraisal done. And then from there, we can just, you know, update all of your documentation. As long as nothing changes, we can close you uh, within uh, two weeks instead of uh, instead of 30 days. Now we can close you in under uh, 15 days, you know, and a lot of times sellers, when they're selling houses, they're like, well, they like the idea of having no loan contingency. Right. Because um, now they don't have to wait. Now, instead, they instead of waiting for someone to close their loan in 30 days and so that they can get their money. Now they're now they have um so a potential buyer who can close the loan in less than 30 days and they can get their money faster and get out of the house and have this, these new uh, owners move in right away. And so that's that's definitely something that I would um, recommend everyone to look into. Um, just, you know, if if they um, want to have at least a small chance of getting getting their offer accepted. So so for the listeners, what's the TBD loan? Uh, TBD approval. TBD, TB, uh, TBD is um, an acronym. It's just, it, it's basically, it stands for to be determined. So we call it TBD approval, but basically what you do is you just send all of your documentation into the lender and I have the underwriter review everything and give you an official approval. Um, when when we have clients come to us and ask us for pre-approvals, what we normally do is we we just uh, run their income, run their numbers, run the automated um, underwriting system, and if it pops, then we give them a pre-approval letter. Well, TBD is one step more than that. So so what we would do is we would actually send everything into the underwriter, into the lender, into the underwriter, and 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 already have everything. Um, provide it to the lender um, to a point where, you know, they already have a file open for them, an application open for them already. And so, um, and, and so once we get that approval, now it's just a matter of like, um, you know, now we wouldn't have to wait. Now we wouldn't have to wait a few days, you know, to send the file into the underwriting, wait for the underwriter to review and give us an approval. We already have an approval from the underwriter. They've already reviewed everything. We just don't have a property to go with that approval. Okay, so like a lot of people think, most people think that mm-hmm. when I want to buy a home, I just start mm-hmm. with a real estate agent. But it sounds to me like it makes more sense to start with meeting with a mortgage professional, someone like you, to, even before you find a property. Yes, yes. I um, even if you know, I, I do see, um, and and I'm very active on social media and. Um, I do see a lot of people uh, asking about how they can, you know, start looking for a house, right? And they get re- they get recommended to talk to an agent, a real estate agent. Well, the real estate agent won't be able to help you much unless they know what you qualify for anyways, right? So you can't just go up to a real estate agent and say, hey, I want to buy a $700,000 home, but I'm making only, you know, $15 an hour. Of course, the real estate agent is not going to waste their time to take you to go look at these like half a million dollar home um, if they know for sure you don't qualify. So definitely start with, um, definitely start with a loan officer. At least then they can review all of your uh, financials and all of your incomes and see how much you can qualify for. And then from there, you can go ahead and reach out to a real estate agent and and provide them with this letter already saying that, well, I know I qualify for this much. So this is this is the um, this is the max that I would like to go with, you know, 
And then from there, that's where the real estate agent will know what type of houses to look for you. Um, But there's a lot of um, miscommunications with like just people amongst other people where they think that just by reaching out to a real estate agent, they can automatically start shopping. Most real estate agents will require that you go and um, meet with a loan officer to get pre-approved first, you know. So if, um, but then again, you know, if you know a real estate agent already and you don't know a, a, you know, a loan officer, of course, you can definitely reach out to your real estate agent. They have, uh, they have tens of partners that they work with, tens of loan officers that they work with that they can refer you to. You know, of course, um, you can't, you don't need to go with these loan officers that they refer you to, but it's, it's a good place to start. So, so, you know, I see a lot of these first time home buyer things out there for, little to nothing down, like 1% down. But how much of a difference does a big down payment make? Like five, 6% down. How much of a big difference does that make on as far as getting your loan at your offer accepted? Um, It does and it doesn't. You know, it really requ- it really depends on your, um, how strong your credit is, how strong your income is, you know, how much money you do have to down. Um, it really depends on, um, there's, there's a lot of different criteria that really falls into it. You know, if, um, most, most sellers, I think if you have, um, you know, if you have like 20% down, it would, um, it would definitely, um, you know, it, it, it would sway their decision to you. But when it comes to like just having like 5% down, 10% down, it really makes no much, not much of a difference in terms of getting your offer accepted. Right. Um, but, um, just for me, in my honest opinion, I feel like, um, you know, the more money you have down that they, as long as, it's, uh, as long as it's more than 15% down, I feel like the sellers will definitely um, entertain your offer a little bit more. But if you only have like the minimum 5% down, you know, 10% down there, they'll still kind of, they'll, they'll still look at your um, offer. But then I, I don't, I don't want to say they won't accept it, but then it's, you know, um, it's pretty standard. It's yeah. pretty standard to come in, you know, if, especially because there's so much competition out there that when you have borrowers who's been saving or when you have buyers who's been saving a lot of money, everyone automatically assumed that the more money you have down, the better your offer, the, the stronger your offer will be. And so everyone's doing it um, just based off of my opinion. You know, a lot of people are doing it. Um, the ones that the ones that I do see that kind of luck out are the first time home buyers who don't have much money and they want to use like the down payment assistance and they want to use like um, grants and, you know, um, additional um, funds and stuff like that from like, you know, borrow funds and stuff like that. And I feel like um, with those particular uh, clients, um, their offers a little bit um just based off of talking to a lot of my real estate friends, um, they 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 tend to have a lot harder time trying to get their offers accepted. Okay, got it. Yeah, it's tough for anybody. But yes. hey, hey, May, you know, we're getting close. We're at the end of the podcast now. You've been an awesome guest, and I really appreciate you coming out and sharing your story. You know, I had no idea you grew up <laughs> in Long Beach in a, in a two-bedroom apartment with a family of six. Um, and you've done so excellent for yourself. You've done an awesome job, and you, my friend, are an awesome success. 
And I know that Warriors financial success means different things to different people. It means different things to the same person at a different time. So what financial mm-hmm. success was to you when you were young in Long Beach is different than what it was to you in 2005, 2006, 2007. And it's probably different than what, is to, uh, what it means to you today. So I don't want to think about it from a dollar amount, but more of a lifestyle. So uh-huh. today, 2021, Mei Yang, what do the words financial success look like and mean to you? It means um, for me, like I said, I have I have kids that now I have to think about, you know, financial success means that I, I have enough funds to pay for my mortgage, um, to, to put aside money for my kids, kids' college funds, to have additional money because of course I am self-employed, even though I do work with Adrian. I do have my own um, clientele. I do have, you know, I have other loan officers that I'm working for as well, you know, processing their loans and stuff like that, too. Um, it means it means just getting a paycheck every <laughs> getting a paycheck every month, you know, having money in my account as even if it's only a few bucks in my account. It, it basically means, um, you know, it's it, it just means that I don't have to. Um, worry about where my next meal is going to come from, right? Because uh, for me, I'm, I've, I've learned to become really humble. I've learned to become really humble. I've learned to um, not focus so much on spending money, but I've learned to focus on like enjoying, enjoying the money that I make. You know, and so of course I'm gonna enjoy. I'm I'm not gonna you know go all out and buy like, um, buy like a sixty thousand dollar car tomorrow or anything like that. But you know, at least I know that if I do want to buy a sixty thousand dollar car, I can hopefully make that payment. You know, that's financial success for me. Where it's it's um, I feel like if I do want to like um, and you know jump into anything, at least I have. Um, some funds set aside to help me jump into that, whatever crazy schemes I have planned, you know? And um, so as long as, basically, as long as I'm healthy, as long as I'm safe, as long as my kids don't have to, um, don't have to grow up thinking that, you know, they they only shop at the thrift store, as long as they're not, you know, they, they didn't grow up with my type of lifestyle when I was grown up, then that to me is the biggest financial success ever. You know, I, I don't need to live in a mansion. I, I live in a four bedroom, you know, <laughs> it's like I live, I, I live in a, a 30 year old house. I, I think it's like more than 30 years old, you know, and I'm okay with that. I don't need to live in a mansion. I don't need to live in um, anything nice or anything as long as, you know, as long as I, I get to go to sl- home at night and get to sleep in my bed. I feel like that's um, success enough for me. That is a great answer, May. And you are a financial success. I'm I'm so glad you were able to come on and be a guest. And it sounds like to you, financial success is being able to provide for your family and have the peace mm-hmm. of mind. I'm able to enjoy the fruits of my labor responsibly. Right. And not right. have to worry about my kids and be providing a better lifestyle for the for my, for your kids than you have. Oh, definitely. Okay. Oh, definitely. So that brings us to the end, guys. May, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. I'll leave I'll leave some contact information for you and for Elevate Mortgage in case anyone wants to reach out and start moving move in the right direction to purchasing their first home or purchasing a home. You guys enjoy the week? Yeah, of course. Enjoy the week. Thanks for turning tuning in and God bless.
Congratulations, guys. You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company, Financial Services, Inc. BFCFS member FINRA-SIPC. Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks and have a blessed week.